Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival. Um, Kevin and I are coming to you today live from, well, are we live? Yeah, I guess we are live. I mean, (laughs) this minute we're live. (laughs) We might post this so quickly for the first time that it's basically live, but clearly we can't take any phone calls. No, no, we can't. So, but we're not post-mortem or anything. No. So, <laughs> yeah, we're coming to you from the Atlantic Center for the Arts. And uh, we are talking today with Ben Gravy. And uh, I think a lot of you folks probably already know who Ben is. He has a wildly popular uh, vlog video web series on YouTube that um, he is pretty famous for, actually. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like as much shit as david scales and chas smith give him they've added to his listenership or watch you know viewer oh absolutely by tenfold not tenfold but he was fine on his own but um yeah i think the uh fact that they talk about him on a bi-weekly basis um makes me want to watch ben's stuff more as with the wsl um and by the way i think they were very happy with the way the movie turned out. I mean, those guys can be critical of just about anything and gosh darn it, they gave it a pretty damn good review, which is kind of why we're here. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to be critical of that movie. It's, um, it's a, it's a kind of an all access, um, no holds barred look into Ben's life. And, um, 
he uh, there's footage from back when he was a kid, and and as you'll see, um, if you come February fifth and uh, watch the movie and meet Ben Gravy, you'll see he's been videoing his whole life, and so. It feels like he, they've been making a documentary about him since he was eight years old. Well, and what what have we done right to be able to world premiere this thing? I, I loved it. I think the background on this movie when we received it, the submission was that Tom and I were, you know, filtering submissions late at night. It was already 1030. We had already seen, I don't know, 30 movies that, yeah. that we were just kind of like, okay, um, uh, good effort but we're probably not going to watch this one or put this one in the festival and you burn through enough of those you start to get tired you need to take a break and then it was right at that point where we were getting tired where ben's movie came on and it took us out you know by surprise because we actually didn't know that the movie had been submitted it was all brand new so we just started playing and it was like 12 midnight 12 15 when we actually finally looked at each other and we're like holy cow this is this is fantastic yeah i can remember you calling me the next day and being like dude i couldn't turn it off i yeah. wanted to go to bed but i couldn't stop watching the movie cuz it was so compelling and uh just such a cool look into this guy's life well and it's it's made with quality and love and you know you see the the crew that were traveling around and some of the press kit photos that we get and they're all having a good time, damn it. Yeah, I mean, I dang it. Surfing's <laughs> supposed to be very serious. I'm sure it was very I'm sure it was very hard to, you know, put in some of those cold hours. But I mean the the team that Ben's put together is also cheerful. They're wonderful to deal with. Kevin Wamersley on, on email's been fantastic. It's just been a joy to put this together. So February fifth may be one of the best nights we ever have in front of a live audience and Ben's gonna be there to share his movie. So let's get into our discussion. Yeah, by the way, we have done nothing right to deserve this, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do it anyways. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> we'll take it. All right, so here's Ben. Sweet, man. Well, dude, we're so stoked to have you. Yeah, man, I'm stoked. And uh, I finally was just kind of able to wrap my head around the whole, the premiere and everything, and I'm getting hyped now. So Nice, nice, yeah. So much going on, you know, but yeah. I'm stoking. Nice. Yeah, you were just out in California, yeah? Yeah, we, we did California for like nine days on the move every single day, visiting a different surf shop, surfing a different spot, driving up and down, and then we flew home. And went right into that big jersey swell. Yeah, that was mental, huh? <laughs> it's pretty good. I like your curtain. Oh yeah, I put that up for you guys. <laughs> it's uh, we're painting. My wife's painting the bathroom right now, so I had a little bit of extra. Otherwise, oh, nice. not, otherwise, I was just backlit to like till I just disappeared. That's that's actually us too. So we just shifted in front of this lovely array of cardboard boxes. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> And did I see, uh, it looked like you got Rincon pretty good, yeah, on the trip? Super fun. We scored it the day before it was absolutely pumping, but ah. it was still like, dude, it was still like three to five and just reeling. I can't nice. even believe that wave. In three to five in the cove or up at the top? Cove. It was yeah. bigger up top. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, solid. I actually, uh, I went to college in Santa Barbara. Oh, nice. So yeah, that's I got, awesome. got to surf that place a bunch and that's still probably to this day, it's my favorite wave on the planet. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. Nice. Introduce yourself. Oh yeah. Sorry. I'm i uh, I'm John, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. 
Yeah. And uh, I think you've uh, been communicating a little bit with Kevin no, already. No. Oh, no. Well, here. Yeah. Hey. What's up, Ben? How you doing, bud? Good. How are you? Thanks, Good. guys. My, yeah, I'll give you a little background. Uh, John and I, in 2013, started this festival um, to basically have a place for us to get together uh, and watch some surf movies. But it was more like the community that we thought would be nice to bring together. There's a unique geographic situation here that you know well. It's the south side of the inlet, the north side. A lot of people yep. don't go one way or another. Or they, they won't go to the other side. Just they'll wait for yeah. the waves to get good. And But anyway, our the Atlantic Center for the Arts is actually right in the middle of the two. You have to go, kind of go back on the mainland. You know, it's back in the sticks. There's 65 acres of wetlands back here. And, you know, an artist and residence community, as it should be, is pretty isolated. But it's yeah. this focal point where we bring everybody out. And so we've been doing this a while. It's been a lot of fun. And then COVID hit. And we thought we would start this podcast where we could document some of the better stories that folks like you who have been on the road, obviously traveled the world and uh, seen quite a bit of uh, different landscapes, different setups probably run into some perilous situations and so forth. But anyway, those are the stories that we get to listen to when the filmmakers come here and we sit around at night eating pizza the night before we show the movies and stuff like that. And that, that's what we thought would make a great podcast. And so by the time this 10 or, you know, 30 or 45 minutes is over, if you think of a good story, we'd love to hear it. Oh yeah. That'd be sure. great. And, uh, you know, <laughs> not a lot of prep, but um, but before we do that, I thought, you know, what a great opportunity to catch up with you before you come down. Some of the listeners will know, many of them will know who you are before, but some, some of you may not. And uh, I think rather than go into stuff that the movie covers, it'd be fun to go um, into what drove you into surfing in the first place maybe a little bit like i know yeah. there's a little bit of that in the, in the movie but like obviously being a good athlete you have to make a decision like john was great soccer player as well as obviously surfing which kind of tugged him toward that but why don't you give us the background on uh where you got the bug um yeah uh so when i was a kid i uh we i actually grew up in pennsylvania like two hours from the beach and uh my my mom is from the Jersey Shore, so she moved up to Pennsylvania to marry my dad. But we we would come down, visit my grandma, and uh, we didn't really live that beach lifestyle at all. I actually I grew up on seven acres in the middle of the woods, and uh, I went to a I went to a Waldorf school, which is pretty pretty uh, hands on oriented. It's some it's actually some pretty weird stuff. I think that's a story for another time, but uh, <laughs> my childhood, I grew up in, in a world where I was more, I was almost more of a farmer than I was a surfer by, by, by a lot. Um, but we went to the beach. I always loved the beach. I always loved the water and uh, pretty typical story. You know, I, I boogie boarded when I was younger. And then uh, one day, one of my dad's friends was like, Hey, uh, your sons need to start surfing. Like, what are you doing? They can't just be um going to the beach and not surfing and uh he gave us a board and me and my older brother went out and uh we both stood up like our first wave and uh I don't know I guess it's just like some natural ability 
we kind of just knew what to do. I don't know how, I don't know why, but we knew what to do. And uh, we, we caught waves and I think I was eight, I might've been seven or eight years old and I was hooked, absolutely hooked, begging our parents every weekend, please dad, please, we want to go surf, please. We got so obsessed with it. We, we got the full suits. Like by the time I was in second grade, I had a five mil wetsuit, boots, gloves, the hood. Um, I would go out and uh, pretty funny. Like I remember my dad, like just yelling at us, like, cause we, we were so young, we couldn't even get our own wetsuits on. Like we would be trying <laughs> like, and then we would scream and cry with like, Oh, dad, help me. Like the wetsuit stuck. It's so cold. And uh, so my parents, gave us like a, an awesome childhood, every opportunity we ever wanted in to go surf every weekend. And then probably when I was about 10, I remember my dad got the idea that he wanted to put us in surf contests. I don't know why he would ever do that, but uh, <laughs> uh, it was good. You know, uh, I, uh, I surfed a couple of the local events around here, just like the heritage contests and stuff. And uh, I actually ended up getting second and then all of a sudden my dad thinks I'm good. So he like, all right, let's start doing the ESA. We're doing the NSSA. We're doing the OCSA. We're doing it all. Like we're going to regionals, all this stuff. So, I mean, my first event, I obviously got dead last, but um, over time I actually started doing pretty well. And uh, I got to the point when I was 14 that I won the ECSC uh, contest in Virginia beach. And uh, at the time that was actually a really big deal. Like, That's huge. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then I, I got sponsored by Billabong after that. <clears throat> um, two years later, I, I qualified for the United States surf team. Um, and I, I traveled to Tahiti with the team. And uh, I was actually an alternate, so I rode the bench. But uh, I do have the second place medal from, uh, I think it was 2006, that the U.S. team got second in the world. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, Peter Tannen was the coach, PT, the legend himself, surfing's first world champ. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so then from there, you know, I was like, well, I'm making the tour. This is it. This is my life. I am a pro surfer. Um, at the time, my Billabong contract was uh, $500 every three months. So <laughs> I, was, I was raking it in. <laughs> and... Uh, so eventually I, I ended up switching. Um, there was a snowboard company called Alliance that um, got into surfing for a couple of years back then. So probably from 16 to like 20, 20, I think it was, I rode for those guys. Um, they offered me, you know, even more. I think I was making $5,000 a year. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> So that was it. I was, I was trying to do that. And uh like you said, like as an athlete, you have to make a decision at some point. So uh, it actually happened for me pretty naturally. On my 20th birthday, I got a call from Alliance and they were like, yo, we're, we're going belly up. Like it's over. The investors pulled out, like we're, we're screwed. Um, oh. And so then like my whole world came crashing down and um, I was not going to be pro anymore because my parents were like, yo, we can't just keep like that. We can't just keep paying like $10,000 a year for you to like pretend that you're a pro surfer. And, uh, at that point I was doing all the junior pros, the QS is in North America, everything. And, uh, yeah, so that all ended kind of like right after I got out of high school. And that's always a weird time for a surfer, like coming out of high school, you're like, am I going to like 
move on? Am I going to try to do this? Surfing's tough, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's not realistic. And it's, it's, you got to give credit to anyone who's broken through or tried or any even tried, you know? And like, I used to do all those QS contests and it's crazy to look at them now because they don't really get that much attention, but like, dude, the, the, the level of surfing talent to win a QS contest is unbelievable. It's, it's completely unbelievable. Well beyond my, where anywhere that I ever got. But uh, <clears throat> so the whole time, as you guys learned in the documentary, I, I've been filming my whole life. So not only was I surfing, I also had the Hi8 camera, the VHS camera, then the mini DV camera, then finally to digital. Um, but the whole time I was filming and when I was a, when I was a super young kid, I, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I actually, um, do you guys know who Abbott and Costello are? Yeah. 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 So when I was a kid, like this is going back to like the weird cult of a school that I went to, but <laughs> I, I wasn't actually allowed to uh we didn't have cable we weren't allowed to watch like programming we could only watch like on the weekends we were allowed to watch like movies so we actually had like all the monster all the black and white monster movies and we had like the black and white Abbott and Costello movies and I actually wanted to be a, a director of horror films like uh the mummy like I wanted to make a movie about mummies um that was my dream but uh, so my natural path was like, well, if I'm not going to, if I'm not going to be a surfer, I'm, I'm going to go to film school. So um, that was that decision there. 19, actually, well, it was my 20th birthday. So 20 years old, I, uh, I went to film school and uh, it was the Art Institute of Philadelphia. It was like a three-year program. And uh, I just went in thinking that that's what I was going to do. Cause like, I pretty much gave up on surfing. And uh, I don't want to give I don't want to give too much of the documentary away, but um, through college, I ended up getting more into drinking, partying and way less into surfing. And uh, my life changed a lot. And then uh, I had this this awakening about seven years after that, um, that I needed to change something in my life. And uh, so that that was kind of my <clears throat> initial I guess, path of, of surfing, what, how I got into it, why I got into it and, uh, the natural progression. Nice. Nice. And so after, uh, did you do the whole three-year uh, program at film? Oh yeah. I, um, so I think I, it actually took me four years. Um, cause I was still begging my parents to be a pro surfer, no, <laughs> not sponsored, but, uh, I, I would kind of do a couple events, local events and stuff and, and try to stay in it. Um, so I only would take like two, three classes at a time. And then by the end, I was taking like five classes at a time, like fully into it. And I actually, I actually graduated. I actually graduated with honors. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, and I got a job in Philadelphia. There's a, there's a place called, uh, uh, Bristol, Pennsylvania. And, uh, they were producing, uh, action sports, um, TV content. It was a production company called prime to go media. And one of the years I actually edited like a lot of the U S open, just, it was kind of cool for me to like, we took, we would take the live feed and cut it down into like a 48 minute show or something. Yeah. And you would, you'd still have to make it feel live, but um, it would be like obviously programming, but you would have to make it feel like it was live But that. That was cool. I did that for a while. And then, uh, 
that kind of transitioned into my vlog because um, I, I I was dabbling with YouTube for years and uh, I, I finally, I guess, figured it out. Nice, nice. And uh, I mean, for most of our listeners, they're they're pretty familiar with your um, history with your vlog and with YouTube and uh, and things like that. Um, is that something like for you as a film as a aspiring filmmaker? Is that something that you view as? Because I've 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 listened to some other podcasts that had you on there, and you talk about how how much you enjoy doing that and how much you love making YouTube videos and things like that. Do you still uh, have that aspiration to be a director or to do like a feature film or anything like that? Um, so I was like full core filmmaker when I graduated uh-huh. and I, th- I thought, um, I thought vlogging was like the corniest thing ever. I was like, this is just, this is not what it's about. You know, like I need these, I need my stuff to be polished. Like I want to, I want respect in, in my filmmaking ability. Um, I want it to look good and whatever. And it, the longer I dabbled with YouTube, I, that kind of went away and I started realizing like, I can actually put my heart into these videos in a different way. I don't have to, I don't have to make it perfect. You know, people can understand where I'm coming from. And uh, there's a different, there's a different beauty to making YouTube videos than uh, than making a polished finished film piece. Um, but to be completely honest with you, I am more dedicated and having more fun now than I ever have. I absolutely love it. I love for for what for what uh, YouTube videos are not in the in like the professional film world. They teach you to be a really good producer. And I feel every video that I make, I get better because I have to stitch a story together in two days, regardless of what I'm working with. So every video that I shoot has to become a watchable 20 minute story every two days. So it's a challenge, daily challenge. And I love it. I live for it. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's that one of the things that I feel like um, makes your your vlog series so relatable is that aspect of it, the realism of it. Um, it, It's, you know, it's, I won't say it's easy for a a director in a feature film because it's not, it's, it's hundreds of hours of work, but at the end of the day, they end up creating this thing that most of the times not super realistic. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's one of the things that's so refreshing about your, your vlog is it, um, it's very real. And, uh, I've heard you say before, like you, you show everything, you, you let everybody in, you give them full access and, uh, that's, that's always appealing. And, uh, it's, a, it's inspiring too, because everybody, uh, looks back and kind of goes, well, geez, like that guy's having a bad day too. And he has surf sessions that suck. And that's so important, especially for younger kids that are just getting into surfing, um, you know, that's so important for them to see that it's not all 10 second barrels, you know, cause that's a lot of times what the surf industry portrays. Yeah. Um, it's not even all, it's not even all always 10 second rides. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you manage to get away from the United States for during that stretch of like competing? Did you get out of the country? T- tell us about like how far away you got. Did you make it to Indonesia? Did you do the boat trip? Did you get to, <laughs> Have. I've never done the boat trip. Um, I'm looking forward to doing it eventually. 
Um, but <clears throat> so when I was actually when I was 14 years old, I was on the ESA All-Star team. And uh, we went to Australia for 21 days. Mm. And uh, I don't know how my parents ever let me do that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it was it was pretty wild. Uh, so we got we started in like now I, now I have the coast flipped upside down in my head. But I think we started in Sydney and ended up in Brisbane. But we did like a full road trip. Um, so that was pretty awesome. I got to go to Mexico a bunch of times because um, I used to do the, there was a, a no fear two star down in uh, real close to California, but I can't remember the name. <clears throat> it's a right hand point break. Um, and then uh, I did Tahiti um, just once. We went for like 16 days. I was pretty young for that too. That's actually where I got introduced to, to drinking. <laughs> <laughs> well um, limited chaperones on that trip <laughs> no drinking. i was gonna say i was uh i was in mexico and selena cruz and chloe was 14 years old and granger larson and uh benji weatherly actually benji weatherly if you can believe it was actually the chaperone <laughs> and i was like that's the worst chaperone i mean i love that guy anyway so uh what was going down around a young Kolohe at 14? What if I, I can only imagine what it was like for you and Tahiti? And, yeah. but did you surf chokes or what? What was the uh, I actually? I actually have, and I am in the process of digitalizing all my old DV tapes. And somewhere in that stash is a couple ways of me from Chopu. Um, so I, <clears throat> uh, I'm sure you guys know who Brian Hewittson is. Mm-hmm. He's uh, obviously a ex-world tour florida surfer uh he was the billabong team manager at the time hold on hold on ben hold on ben did you uh did you win or lose against brian (laughs) no brian was my coach no 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 i mean i'm I'm talking to uh john right here uh ben john used to surf uh, as a pro surfer and uh he took took a few lumps on the head from brian i'm a fellow uh failed pro surfer as well (laughs) i don't think i don't think huey lost that much in his heyday no now he, he did that when, when he was, yeah when when Huey was still even after he like retired and he was just the east coast team manager for billabong he was still just demolishing heats like just yeah. unbelievable um but he was there and he was the billabong team manager and i was the only kid on the team from billabong and he was like a chaperone and uh the last morning of the trip the whole u.s team went for a shopping day and he was like, woke me up at like 3.34 in the morning. He was like, yo, we're not going shopping. Like, I'm not allowing you to miss this opportunity. So we actually got in the car. We drove, we were staying at the Radisson. So we had to drive around the whole island to get to Chopu. Um, and we showed up like not even at daybreak before it was light out. And he was driving, driving through like these weird little back roads. And we ended up at this house and he's like, yo, these people are going to know me. Like they're going to remember me from 1998 when I competed in the contest. And I was like, this is wild. Like, I felt like I was going to get shot. You know what I mean? Like we were, (laughs) we were in the woods, like it was nuts. And he rolls in and I swear to God, this lady like is do like, she was like folding or or doing something out back on the deck. And she looked up and she's just like, Brian. And like just gave him a hug. The whole family came out. And like the one guy was like, all right, let's go. Let's hop on the boat. We're going. And like, we just hopped on the family's boat. He took us out and uh, 
Huey was nice enough to film. Um, I think he was dealing with like an injury at the time or something. So he just kind of chilled in the boat and filmed me. And um, for a 16 year old kid, it was bombing. <laughs> it was like, it was probably eight to 10 foot faces and not, not doing like the suplexing chopu thing, but it was like, it was big. It was big. Yeah. And I was just so funny. Cause there's like these, these maniac Australian guys out and like, they were taking off all the way deep <clears throat> and uh, just getting shacked. And I was taking off like on the shoulder and the guy's like, he's like, mate, like take off over there. It's way easier. Like you take <laughs> off on the shoulder, you're going to get chucked. And like, in my head, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But when you look at it, it really does. The roll in deeper is actually way safer. Um, but I, I made a couple drops and then I got, I got the hell out of there. I was, uh, didn't get any barrels, just rode a couple big waves. And uh, that's, that's all I have for Chopu as of now. But um, I feel like I'll go back someday. Nice, nice. I feel like though that that story, like what you just explained, I feel like that explains a lot of the difference um, or not explains it, but highlights a lot of the difference between East Coast surfers and West Coast surfers. That, you know, you I just I, I grew up in Florida and then I spent 10 years in California, went to college out there, tried to be a pro surfer, all that. And they just I just not, not to denigrate California surfers, because a lot of them are fantastic and they're really nice mm. people. But I just feel like guys from the East Coast are just a little bit more hungry. Um, I, think, I, I know what you're saying. Like, I know that Huey woke up and he's like, this kid's never getting this opportunity again. So, like, yeah, we're gonna, like, yeah, take the opportunity. Yeah, that's so epic. And I'm 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 glad to see that um, you, you and I have some similar experiences uh, just with surfing and competing and the industry in general. And uh, so I'm so glad to see the the surf industry at large um, starting to embrace the the route that you're going now and and reminding everybody that, hey, like at the end of the day, surfing's supposed to be fun. Like yeah. it's you know, the, the contesting has gotten so serious and it's gotten so athletic and not a, not a bad thing. You know, we've seen some really brilliant performances as a result of guys stopping partying and starting to like think of themselves as athletes and working out and training and the level of surfing has been pushed for sure. But at the end of the day, that's a handful of people in the world that are going to achieve that. Most of us just want to surf and have fun. And so I'm super stoked to see the success of what you're doing, um, you know, with bringing that to the world. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of people that come up to me and they're just like, man, like surfing needed this so bad. Like, and it, it's crazy. Cause I don't think of myself. I just see like my life, you know, like I have my horse blinders on, I'm just living this life. I'm working every day, but like to some people, like a good amount of people in the world, like what I do is really important. And, and it's, a, it's a huge honor for me. Like when those people come up and they're like, dude, like you made surfing what it is for me like this is why i i love surfing because of like you and i'm like that doesn't make any sense to me but <laughs> like it's an honor it's an honor it's, it's kind of wild too you went from you know editing the u.s open um what would be a lot of material down to like a 45 minute beautiful thing and now you're on the complete other end of the spectrum although there's a lot of editing going on on your end too but what it is is just it's just like a real you've stripped away all the frill um 
There's no, you know, beautiful shots from 747 over uh, Pacific Ocean with, uh, you know, HD lineups and, you know, all, all of the, I think it's it, what, what is wonderful about it is it's real. It's completely relatable. It's, it's a very East Coast thing too. And I've got friends that I went to college with from Jersey who speak their mind. There's no facade of cool. There's no, I'm not saying that the West Coast has that all the time, but it does generally feel that um, you guys are, are the ones keeping it real in the, in the world of what <clears throat> is uh, sometimes an overproduced uh, inability to connect with people. And, and that's what you've done is you've stripped a lot of that away and you've made it real. I mean, I love just the, you know, the Great Lakes stuff, for example, is it's insane. I, when, I'm, when I'm out at a shitty day on the East Coast, I say to myself in my head, what if I was sitting in Lake Michigan right now? How stoked <laughs> would I be on these waves? Yeah. It's unreal. And so yeah. what you've done is also opened up our sense of adventure for my kids and, you know, uh, others that never would have gotten in a van and traveled in the middle of the night to another part of the country, whether it be for surfing or not. Yeah. And, and that sort of spontaneity is something every cubicle crusher, uh, you know, is dying to do at any minute just get in a car and, and charge yeah yeah it's 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 been wild because a lot of the stuff that i've done i i've had like i had to do it um yeah there's a line at the end of the documentary that actually it actually made me tear up when i watched the final version because i was like wow they put this together so beautifully but it's it's like when i say like my wife was there before i i did this for a job like when i just needed to do it and uh it's it's really awesome that i get to share that like you said the sense of adventure like just that 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 inside yearning of like i don't know why but i have to drive to nebraska right now and serve you know <laughs> i love it yeah that's epic and uh speaking of the great lakes that uh that session i don't know if it the session occurred a couple weeks ago but i saw the video a couple weeks ago from minnesota is that yeah. is that that's is that the best great lakes you've caught yeah um so yeah my vlog's pretty real time that that video i think came out like the day after it happened um nice but yeah that so so i was not happy with how i surfed nebraska and i um and i i found there's a whole nother story but i found some potential on a lake in nebraska we ended up flying out to denver driving four hours to Lake McConaughey, Nebraska, scoring like what I would call the best waves you could ever get in Nebraska, like three foot. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> kind of a lot like Lake Tahoe. It's like, you know, wind chop kind of nuts. And uh, yeah, this guy I've been talking to forever, his name's Eric Wilkie. He's like, a, he's actually a California guy that moved to uh, Minnesota many years ago, like 25 years ago or something. I've always been talking to him since the first time I went to Minnesota. And he's always like, Oh, here, there's a swell coming. It might not be this, might not be that. But I was sitting in Denver and Wilkie was like, Hey man, like, I know we've been chatting for four years. I'm (laughs) telling you right now, this is the one, this swell is gnarly. And I was like, you know, all right, great lakes. I'm already freaking in Nebraska. It's a two hour plane ride. I found a, I found some frontier flights for $40. We might as well go. So I was thinking it's going to be like chest high. Um, and 
it was it was nuts because it was like zero degrees out frozen roads a couple of accidents along the way like snow clouds the whole deal we get that in new jersey but not like that the midwest is is a different experience so i got the rental car and we we drove it was like a two-hour drive and we rolled up to the lake and i mean you can see it in the vlog we rolled up and we were just like oh my god it's 10 foot yeah the, the faces on those waves are 10 feet and we were just losing it and uh you know, it's, it's hard. Surfing is not one of those things where you can make a, a claim and everyone just says, yeah, you're right. That's true. But that's the best I've ever seen it there. Biggest I've ever seen it there. A lot of people were telling me it gets bigger, this, that, whatever. Um, and it's not that I don't believe them, but I just personally never saw anything like that. So that was an experience and a half. So I want to thank all the Minnesota surfers for inviting me. And, and uh, that was it. Zero degrees out. It was like negative 15 with the wind chill. Oh, oh my God. I put a spring suit on top of my five mil because I, I had <laughs> or I cut the leg of my suit in Nebraska and there was like a little leak. And I was like, dude, if this water uh, but the problem is your body doesn't heat up the second suit. Right. So it's it's fresh water and it's zero degrees out. So my suit freaking just got ice on it. So I had like <laughs> I think it was like 15 pounds of ice on my back. Like hitting oh, on my back, you can kind of see like how I'm surfing. Like I'm just digging in real hard because I weigh like 25 pounds more than I usually do. <laughs> well, dude, not- I'll, I'll claim it for you. That's the best freshwater wave ever ridden. I'm I'll I'll throw it out there. Anybody can call <laughs> me and tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. But dude, that <laughs> looks like wave. that legit looks like inside sunset. Yeah, um, that's what we were calling it out there. Pretty funny sunset. I was like, it's Sunset Beach. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. So I got a question, um, on your, when you were doing your 50 States tour, um, I can't, I can't remember. I, I, I'm, I apologize. I haven't watched all of them, but I can't remember in your 50 States tour, did you ride any man-made waves and consider that a wave surfed in a state? So before, so I surfed Texas as a man-made wave. At Waco? Waco, but then later on, it's not in the documentary, but later on, I ended up surfing in the Gulf. Then I okay. surfed Nebraska, Nebraska as a man-made wave. Um, but then I ended up surfing in the lake. <clears throat> um, and then the only one that's a man-made wave is Arizona. Okay. Um, but I kind of, I kind of let that one slide in my mind because uh, my, my initial goal was like, I have to do everything natural, have to. But then when I started doing it, the process became more about getting the stoke out there than it was about like putting these crazy rules on myself. And uh, the reason that I, um, so like I, I talked to Guinness world records, like when I wasn't completely like getting done, I was like maybe three quarters of the way. And they're like, no, 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 this isn't going to work. Like you have to go back. You have to put these buoys and these ropes in the water and like, if you're going to count a state, it has to be like 10 feet of riding time. And I was like, you can't surf on a river for 10 feet. Like it's, yeah, it's not stationary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like once I talked to Guinness, I was like, honestly, all these rules, like I'm over it because this is, this is my, my record. This is my thing. And honestly, I didn't surf the 50 States to say, yo, I'm the guy that surfed the 50 States, like world record holder. I surfed the 50 states just to show that there's something to ride in every state. I don't care about being the guy that surfed the 50 states. 
I care about being like, well, did he find one in South Dakota? Bang, there it is. Did he find one here? Well, you can't surf in Wyoming. Well, yes, you can. Oh, you can't surf in Nebraska. Well, yes, you can. So it's for me, it's more about like everything that I do is more about the energy of surfing and, and keeping it in the right place in my mind than it is about like accolades. Nice. Nice. And what's your thoughts on, um, you know, like a lot of your message seems to be about kind of bringing sur- bringing the joy of surfing and the fun of surfing to everybody. What's your thoughts on like wave pools and, and how that's going to impact surfing over the next you know decade? I mean, I think they're awesome. <clears throat> I, I don't know. Like environmentally, I'm not sure what the, the claim is. Um, but I think as far as like community and surfing and, and making people smile and uh, what's it called? Like I, I look at surfing as a therapy. So like I've been to the, I've been to the surf ranch a couple of times and I've seen some people who can't even, who can barely surf ride a wave for over a minute and just the perfect wave, the wave of their life. And I think that that's awesome. I think everyone who wants to try surfing should have the shot of getting a ride like that and under and just feeling that inside because that's the ultimate elation. Like there's a reason we keep going back out, even when we know the waves aren't going to be amazing. Like there's a chance, a very small chance that you're going to get a crazy good one and get that feeling inside of your heart. So I think the, I think wave pools are going to be amazing uh, for just, overall therapeutic reasons of surfing because the the vast majority of people who surf surf to feel fulfilled and happy and and just get some exercise and feel good about themselves that's not why i surf john and i surf to look cool and get late <laughs> and have my uh, absolutely no i think you're right i think we also have the uh well the law of economics will dictate whether or not wave pools will be a reality for everybody um, yeah. has very little to do with what our opinions are but the uh the fact is john um does bring up like there, there's a cynicism in the sport that will always go back root back to i mean everything has it, you know every sport has its critic you know his critics and all that but what you seem to gracefully do is just put all that aside and go hey i'm just doing my thing and and that that immediately brings a vulnerability to your experience a very personal one and if those people that choose to tune in want to tune in they do it's just as simple as that and so it's been fun to watch the progression that you've brought to the sport you're an un- incredible surfer so i mean every time i i see a clip I'm, jesus no wonder you were you know banging on the door of the top 44 at some point um but i just like to see somebody take it on and and like you said it's a part of necessity too it's uh maybe it's not financial but it's like i you just feel the need to to get out there and do this and now to have a partner with you uh, i know you were married sometime in november and and to have somebody who's got your back that must feel incredible and uh it's covered in the movie obviously i don't want to go too much into that but like uh congratulations on your on your marriage and I think I can't let this podcast in without asking just to make sure, do you have any other stories out there that you, that you're like, Oh, you guys got to hear this one. Let me put this one down on the record. Or, I mean, we've already gotten three great stories. 
Um, I can't really think of anything, but um, one thing I did want to say to what uh, you were saying before is, um, so I, I lived that lifestyle of wanting to be pro and caring what everybody thought and caring what Billabong thought of me when I rode for them and, and trying to fit into their box and trying to be something that I just wasn't. I am not that. And it's been very, um, it's been like amazing for me to, to, like you said, just put it out there and be, just be myself. And I mean, our sport has, I don't know why people want to cast judgment and, and, and critique things and judge things so heavily in surfing. It's really funny to me because I already failed at being a pro surfer and I didn't start doing what I was doing so that I could be a pro surfer. Those guys pulled me in, you know, all those magazines and stuff. They pulled me in with their criticism and stuff. I'm not even involved. I'm, I'm on Mars, completely different, (laughs) but um, I've had the opportunity to talk to some of my friends who are, who are, you know, high level pro surfers, really, really talented surfers. And, um, and, and they, they've openly said that to me. They're like, dude, like it's, it's tough, man. It sucks. Like I have to look a certain way, act a certain way, do a certain, go certain places, get the perfect shot, the perfect, this, the perfect that. And, uh, or my, my sponsor's not happy. And it's like, we don't even know what surfing is. You know, we, we try to keep surfing in this small judgmental bubble for so long and social media completely blew that apart. Surfing now is much more weekend warrior than it's ever been. And, and we can't, a lot of people are, are struggling with controlling what surfing is or how it's perceived. But at the end of the day, like surfing's pretty corny. Like it, it's like, we put these weird wetsuits on, we go out there, we act like kooks. Like we're just smiling on the beach, having fun. Like people get all caught up and like, Oh, are you on a five, seven fiberglass, 27 liter shred stick or how, <laughs> how dare you ride that six, four soft top when the waves are good. I'm like, dude, it, it, none of it matters. It really doesn't matter. Like we don't, I can't control what's happening. So I'm just, I'm living it. I'm riding it. And I'm just, I'm just smiling along the way. That's epic. Yeah. Cause I think we should as a, as a, whatever you want to call it, a community of surfing, we should have figured out when, when the term fun board was derogatory, we should have stopped and went, wait a sec. What? Like, (laughs) so the board that's fun to ride is a bad thing. Like what's wait? we're, we're on the wrong path here. And I think we're, uh, we're going through a a little bit of an existential crisis right now with surfing. And um, there's definitely, I I've heard the, uh, the comment made that professional surfing is bad for surfing. Um, and so I just think what you're doing um, so boldly, you know, contradicts uh, what professional surfing is, is about in a lot of ways. And, um, and so, yeah, just hats off to you for what you're doing. And uh, we've, uh, we've been thrilled to have, uh, have you on the podcast here and chat a bit. And we're really excited to have you down in a few weeks to uh, show your movie to folks. And uh, yeah, February 5th. So uh, everybody that's listening, we're going to, we're going to roll this podcast out um, like today or tomorrow. So folks, folks that are listening, um, be sure to come uh, to Atlantic center for the arts on February 5th, see Ben's movie, meet Ben. And um, yeah, we can't wait, bud. I'm stoked. Thank you guys so much. 
Thanks, Total Ben. Honor. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate the time talking to me. Honored to show the movie. It's the world premiere. So it's going to be nuts. We're Thank gonna, you, guys. We're going to have a good time, man. We'll talk to you later. All right, Kev, man, that was great talking to Ben, huh? Oh, yeah. I kind of thought that would be an easy podcast. It turned out to be better than expected. And, you know, anytime you get a chance to talk to a hardworking, you know, surf-oriented guy who's laid back and all about good times, it's going to be a fun chat. Yeah, and I just – I love how accessible he is. There's no pretense. There's no – he's not putting on a show like – he, you, you get what you, you get what Ben is and uh, at pretty much every interaction it seems like and uh, it was a real treat yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast Ben and we are going to see you on February 5th as well as hope you know hopefully a big group of fans uh, joining us the ticket sales look very good so far so go ahead and get your ticket now if you haven't thought about that we're gonna go ahead and thank some sponsors for this uh, uh, festival that we do. We have uh, recently signed on with a new wetsuit sponsor. So Buell Wetsuits is our wetsuit sponsor, thank God, and um, giving us and the fans a chance to win with your raffle ticket, which is included with your ticket, your pass for the night, a chance to win a new Buell wetsuit. And uh, also, let's thank Rourke, who came back on board for two more years. Yeti, who came back on board for two more years. Absolutely. And uh, of course, Monster Energy, our presenting sponsor, as well as Globe. And of course, Red Dog Surf Shop. Um, Clancy's Cantina will be out here with food. New uh, Smyrna Beach Brewing Company. Yeah. Yeah. Creatures of Leisure can win a, a board bag and a new surfboard from Cronin Surfboards. Our venue, Atlantic Center for the Arts, uh, supports this event as well. And uh, we can't say enough about all of our other sponsors. They're just great. Um, we, we can't do this without them and the revenue that they generate helps offset the ticket price. So it's been a fun, I don't know, we're in our ninth year of festival activity. The, uh, fact that, you know, you guys keep coming out is motivating for us to keep doing this project and, uh, we'll see you on February 5th. John, anything else? You. There you go. (laughs)